The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. When you think about what makes for good beer, you might think about the hops, the malt, the freshness, the water, the brewer's craft. And you can kind of easily think of all these elements, but there's no beer without yeast, which is a bit more mysterious to many. Until very recently, even in the booming local craft brewing scene, pretty much all yeast used was imported, and only from a very small group of commercialised strains, not tapping into the quite astounding variety of yeasts nature has, and what they could mean for making new and interesting beer. Well, Last year, a couple of friends who were first brewing hobbyists, then enthusiasts and then professionals working in the Wellington craft scene set out to change that. Simon Cook and Ryan Carvel's Froth Technologies is, after a successful crowdfund last year, working with leading edge tech, science and bringing local yeast to the people. To talk the journey, yeast and brewing, they join me now. Tēnā good morning, how are you guys? Tēnā Good Very good. <laughs> hey, awesome. So, so your old mates. Hey, tell me about the kind of the origin story of uh, of you guys getting to know each other. Sure. Well, um, yeah. Simon and myself first met in uh, I think our first year of high school. Mm. Uh, so, nearly twenty years ago now, sometime, um, and hit it off pretty instantly. Then became uh, pretty tight mates. And that carried on all the way through high school. Um, we ended up living together at university uh, up here in Wally, where we were both studying. And um, yeah, just been been good mates ever since. Ah, that's awesome. And tell me about um, tell me about living together at university, because is that where you first kind of got a bit serious about brewing your own beer? Uh, even kind of starting a um, you started a beer brewing society. Is that right? Yeah. So I mean, any good student likes to have a good time alongside with their studies and with that can uh, usually come a good beverage so in, in order to keep costs down initially we started dabbling in some homebrew um, and the, the passion quickly grew the beers got better and better and we ended up having a sort of beer on tap at the flat um, soon after that friends at university are sort of trying our brews and going hey can you teach me how to make that and so what started as a small show show and tell with some friends, I thought, hey, maybe the university can support this a bit better. And so at Massey University, I started the, the Massey University Brewing Society, or MUBS. And with that, we got um, some sponsorship 
from homebrew companies. We got some equipment to rent out to students, uh, to members for free, and did some live brewtorials um, on campus. And at uh, the the end of that, with some of the money we were able to raise, and sort of in partnership with the research project I was doing at university um, in graphic design, uh, I was able to do uh, our first commercial batch of beer so took a homebrew recipe and upscaled it and brewed that at scale uh, at Mutter Brewery in the central North Island. Ah oh, that's so awesome and I read somewhere that you um, you were making hazies not entirely on purpose but way ahead of the curve. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we were, uh, were pretty pretty keen on uh, some rather experimental brews back in our early stages and um, hops were always a, a big part of that uh, yeah, we ended up um, incidentally dosing some of those beers with quite a significant amount of hops, um, leading to yeah a, a lot of haze and a lot of bitterness. Um, so not not quite the hazies you drink today, but yeah, I guess ahead of the curve. <laughs> hmm. And and what was it that you know outside of the you know a bit cheaper um, for for the beers, which only works if you make a good one. Otherwise, you've got an expensive lot of uh, not very good beer. But what what was it about um, about brewing like that that uh, got you guys interested? Uh, we've kind of both always been really passionate about flavour. Uh, Ryan uh, in his early days worked as a baker. Early in the mornings, I've worked in kitchens around the country as a chef. Um, so I think that was really what inspired it. We're just big on flavor. We're big on that sense as a way to kind of, as a medium for storytelling, as a medium for sharing good times. So yeah, what initially started as a cost-saving exercise, it's chasing the next um, interesting flavor, the wow moment on your tongue that that got us trying new things and and sort of devoting our, our passion to this awesome industry. And then coming out of uni, um, you, you, you kind of both uh, in a roundabout fashion, both got into the, the industry. Tell us about kind of um, getting into the, the, the craft beer scene and what you guys were up to as, you know, from, from the outside, it seems like a really collegial place full of people who are total enthusiasts all having a pretty good time. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely a pretty accurate impression of the industry. Um, it's extremely collaborative. It's extremely supportive of, of uh, essentially who are your competitors uh, between breweries. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I, I ended up after university working in the Canterbury Earthquake Recovery doing demolition um, and sort of spending all of my weekends homebrewing still, um, taking up a fair bit of my time. So at some point I thought, well, my heart's not really in the uh, demolition game, so I think I'll have a crack at um, making this brewing actually make me some money instead of um, just taking all of it. And so I went down, I saw a role um, come up at Eagle Brewery in Christchurch, which was a part-time role, um, and I just went down, I took a couple of bottles of homebrew with me to the interview, sat down with the brewer, and um, he obviously liked what I brought in and sort of gave me a crack. And yeah, from there it was a real a real learning curve into the, the commercial side of brewing. Um, a lot of the theory still applies, a lot of the practices, but the equipment is very different. So there was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of new learning for me around that way. And from there, yeah, it was just um, kind of continued to snowball. I guess it's one of those things that mm. the more you sort of, the deeper you dive into it, the deeper you get sucked in, so... And about the same time, so following on from that first commercial brew that I did with Mubs at university, um, I finished my studies and I went off to Europe and did a bit of a 
a brewing tour around um, Germany and the Czech Republic, visiting breweries all over the show, just mentioning that, hey, I'm a brewer from New Zealand. And, you know, 10 minutes earlier, they'd said, sorry, no tours on Saturday. And then <laughs> mentioned that. And all of a sudden, the head brewer walks through the door and says, come with me. <laughs> and we're tasting everything out the back. So um, I sort of expected that to be a one-off batch. But the beer that I'd sold the bars uh, to the bars, student brewed beer, um, they were sort of calling me up, sending me emails, saying, can I get some more of that? And I sort of had intended it to be a one-off batch. So while I was actually living in Spain, I developed, I was homebrewing there in a really small village. And I developed a recipe for a, a, a blonde ale. And actually sort of, I figured, hey, if I if I can be living in Wellington and have the beer, beer brewed in Central North Island, um, maybe I can be living in Spain and have, have the beer brewed in Christchurch so I actually sent the recipe to Twisted Hop and watched via uh, video chat the, the beer being made before my eyes and with some some help from mum and dad and other support people on the ground I was able to sell those kegs while and sort of help extend the holiday the, the overseas experience a bit more and so yeah once I got back to New Zealand the I, I thought I, I had a, a, a job in a cafe for a bit that wasn't really serving me and um, once that cafe closed down, I thought, hey, let's give this brewing thing another crack. Um, and I, I was looking for a new brewery that could make my recipes. I settled on Eagle Brewery in Christchurch. And so I, I made like three or four different beers through there. And it was actually Ryan that was usually making them. And I would sort of fly down for the brew day every now and then. And I think that's when we started to put our heads together and go well hang on you know we're both great brewers um i'm developing these recipes and you're making them so maybe we could collaborate on something together and the initial thinking was maybe we could start maybe we could open a brewery together but that's when the market research started and it's a it's a pretty um busy scene isn't it like and when you've got a place like that where you've got a lot of people who are maybe enthusiasts before business people uh it's maybe there's a few kind of people who are operating more out of love than because it's a a, a hot performing business and then if you're going in and competing in a place where there's people running uneconomically it can be pretty hard to make a buck as a starting out company yeah absolutely um yeah look brewing isn't necessarily the most profitable profitable industry to be in it's definitely a passion project for a lot of people um and yeah, I think that's one of the things that makes the industry <clears throat> so unique and so collaborative is that people are really in it for the passion and for the heart of it. And that's one of the reasons they're happy to help out their competitors because no one's really in it to, I mean, making big bucks isn't perhaps the, the goal for a lot of people. It's, it's being able to, you know, apply their craft and it, hopefully make a living out of that. And then what led you, so so also around this time after Eagle and Christchurch, you all ended up back in Wellington, hey, and and were you working, Ryan, at Weta, uh, at, at the uh, Wild Workshop, Gar Garage Projects <coughs> Wild Workshop, which, to, again, to a kind of outsider who's keen on, keen on the odd beer, it feels like it's some kind of Willy Wonka's paradise factory with all the stuff that comes out of there. T tell me about working in there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you're not far off with the Willy Wonka thing, actually. It's um, yeah. So I went away travelling to Europe as well for a bit and did a kind of beer tour like Simon did, and came back and decided that Wally was the place I wanted to be at. 
Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough, I just kind of went around handing out some CVs, took up a driving job at Garage Project, and then um, from there managed to wrangle my way into the Wild Workshop through some twist of luck. Um, and yeah, look, that was that was a really amazing uh, time. It's just, you know, if I can paint a picture for it, it's you kind of walk into this big warehouse and there's these old, centuries-old, big thousand-litre wooden vats sitting there full of ageing beer. You go upstairs, there's 200-plus barrels full of all kinds of different beers that have exotic fruits that they're ageing on. Um, and it's this really um, beautiful kind of hybrid between the kind of romantic, artful aspect of beer and the really scientific side as well. Um, because you're dealing with all of these unique microbes that perhaps more the brewer is at the mercy of the microbes in those type of brewing situations than um, than the other way around. So, yeah, it was really fantastic. It's this, um, yeah, some of the stuff coming out of there is just amazing, you know, really um, artfully aged and blended and um, just, yeah, it was a fantastic time. And into that world of the microbe, uh, yeah, like, talk us through how, how you ended up, after deciding maybe a brewery wasn't the go, focusing in on the, the microbial world and yeast. Yeah, so we found that, yeah, certainly the, the craft brewing industry is, is a bit crowded. Um, and we, just, we, we did take a bit, bit of a pivot there. We, we were trying to hone in on, if we, if we were to design the, the ideal brewery for us, what does it look like? It's got to be sustainable. What are some areas that have been overlooked that we could focus on? A big one is the ingredients and where they come from. And we're actually really lucky in New Zealand that we can produce um, just about all, all the ingredients that we need. We've got world-class malt. We've, uh, our hops are famous for their unique qualities. And we've got clean water on tap everywhere. We quickly, quickly realized that when it comes to yeast, it's currently all imported and there was no local yeast option. So that was our kind of eureka moment where we're like, hey, let's localize this so that essentially for the first time brewers across the country can make beers that are 100% kiwi ingredients and so um, there's, a, there's a bunch of domesticated strains I mean all yeast was once wild it's everywhere it's on plants and in the air and on your skin um, once upon a time they were um, brewing in the open air and the, that yeast would settle in there they would drain off the finished beer and leave the sort of yeasty sediment at the bottom and put a fresh batch in and um, even like the German purity law for hundreds of years listed water, malt and hops as the three ingredients required to make beer. And then with um, modern science and um, um, microbiology, we're able to realize actually there's these tiny little guys in that slop that are responsible for making alcohol and, and CO2. Um, so those domesticated strains are the strains you can buy off the shelf as a home brewer or as a commercial brewer. They're generally the same strains from different companies overseas. And those are the strains that are kind of just like a domesticated animal. They're kind of predictable. They've got cleaner profile. They, they perform well. And so our initial offering with Froth Technologies is to grow those strains that brewers know and love, but to offer them locally for the first time. Um, outside of that, uh, our more innovative aspect, we're trying to find our own wild yeasts that are here in the New Zealand environment being an isolated um, island country there's likely microbes here that have um, been evolving for centuries in isolation 
and so what we're wanting to do is take some forage some tiny little samples um, from out in out in the bush far away from humans and far away from breweries um, so we're talking like a few a few berries or a couple of flowers or maybe just a swab um, or a bit of bark off the ground we take that back to um, the research and development lab that we're partnering with that's Callahan Innovation and we're about halfway through this project where we're trying to find essentially native wild brewing yeasts that will sort of showcase the flavour of Aotearoa into the pint glass. That's that's so cool and it's so wild to think that all of this yeast was being imported and and like what does the um you know, with freshness being such a thing in, um, in in great beer, especially great kind of like hoppy, flavorful, interesting beer, what does it mean to have fresh yeast? Does that does that bring an extra element to the to the process? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so currently for brewers to get their hands on liquid yeast, which is sort of the ideal form of yeast, um, it has to be shipped via refrigerated air freight to get here in a reasonable condition. So there's a, a reasonably significant expense uh, associated with that. Um, and then even then the yeast may arrive uh, a month or two after the date of manufacture um, from where it's been made in either Europe or the States. And yeast decays at about 21% um, per month. Um, their cell populations will die off at that rate. So after a month, you're left with only 79% of the yeast you're actually uh, getting and so forth. So yeah, having fresh yeast is, is of um, it's of, yeah, very much very high importance for these breweries. Um, it's a variable that plays a massive role in fermentation performance. Um, as well as the flavour um, profiles of beer. Um, yeast uh, can be, the flavours in beer, over 50% of the ones produced can be attributed to yeast. So it's a massive aspect of beer flavour. Um, and yeah, so getting the freshest, healthiest product is, is yeah, very crucial. And there's a distinct difference as well. Um, we, so we're producing liquid yeast products. So it's kind of a beige, creamy, clay-like slurry um, that's uh, pourable. Uh, beer yeast can also come in a dried form. It kind of looks like the yeast you might buy to bake bread with. Um, but that drying process uh, is quite energy intensive as well. Um, do you recall the, is it 40%? Yeah. 40% less uh, reduced carbon footprint on liquid yeast versus dried. So the, um, the freshness is better for the planet as well. Yeah, especially if you're not shipping it all around the world totally. and i i imagine that those yeasts that are currently in use as you were just saying before simon that you know they just happened to settle on what they were making um so that that just is kind of like you know what happened to be in the air blowing around in in i don't know germany in 1650 or something and people have just been working with them since but there are so many different kind of possible varieties and so many different possible yeasts that could be bringing things. Like, you know, for, for like a, a, a novice or, you know, who may not, who may enjoy a beer but not know about the process, like, yeah, tell us about the role that yeast plays there and how that actually um, brings that, brings that flavour through in, in the brewing process. Yeah, so, I mean, it's no accident that, um, that yeast produces these, aroma and flavor compounds that are appealing to us uh flavors like uh, or aromas like ripe fruit or citrus or spice um th these have kind of 
uh, evolved to produce these to attract uh, insects and other things so that they'll, they'll land there thinking there's a ripe banana and um, the yeast can sort of grow and spread its population. Just so turns out that when we're able to capture that and isolate that and put that into a beer, hey, we get those delicious flavors in there. Um, so yeah, I mean, they say that a, a brewer makes wort and that's the sugary liquid that um, that is produced before fermentation happens and we end up with beer. And they say that the yeast makes the beer. So a brewer goes through a process of taking malted barley and sometimes wheat and other grains. They um, put it in a warm bath and extract the sugars. They boil it and add um, hops at different stages to add bitterness, flavor, and aroma. And then they cool it down from that boiling temperature to more room temperature, put it into a fermentation tank, and that's where the yeast comes in. And so if you imagine, say, let's say you've made a big batch of beer and um, you've split it up into five different fermentation drums, you can add, so at that point the beer is exactly the same, you can add five different yeasts to, do, to those and they will produce five completely different beers. One could, one could be a lager yeast, so it's going to be really, really bright and crisp. You could add a, a sort of German yeast, and that's going to put a lot of phenolics in there, a bit of spice or ripe banana. And it can, it can impact the mouthfeel, the dryness, the head retention, um, the color, the clarity, all of those things. So side by side, you could think these are completely different beers, and that's all attributed to the yeast. That's remarkable. And when you say that, you know, yeast, you, you know, these yeasts that you're using, because there's all kinds of yeasts that would be probably not that ideal for beer as well, I'll bet, but uh, or for lovely flavours that we'd love. But yeah, when you when you're talking about those yeasts that have evolved to live on plant plants and to produce those characters of like fresh fruit and the like, is that what's leading you to the bush and to flowers um, in Aotearoa to try and get those <coughs> unique flavours? Yeah, absolutely. So um, in this like Aotearoa yeast project, we're, we're hoping to find a yeast that will produce flavours that perhaps make you think of Aotearoa when you're drinking your beer or have some unique character that, that really resonates with um, the New Zealand wilderness. So as Simon was saying earlier, these a lot of yeast have evolved to uh, replicate um, the flavours of the sort of host that they are uh, feeding on. Um, and so our logic there is that if we head out to the Aotearoa bush, um, look for some of our unique native flora um, and take some samples of the flowers and berries there, which is um, where we're hoping and, and have so far seen that the yeast is hanging out, uh, that we will find yeast that yeah have uh, flavours that are similar to some of those, um, some of that flora that we're taking the samples from. And how's it going? Like, you, you know, like what, what, what is the, because, you know, if you think about kind of like tropical island and you go pineapple and banana or something, like what is the kind of, um, what, what's a flavour that's uniquely here? Well, I guess you've got some, some flavours that perhaps are reasonably well known, like manuka honey, um, for example, is a, a big obviously export of um, New Zealand. Um, uh, but I guess for me, when I think of the uh, Aotearoa um, wilderness, it's it's kind of this dense, dank, kind of rainforest sort of feeling. You know, it's it, there's been a, a few times when we've gone out to take samples, like on the the west coast of um, the South Island and, and up in Northland, 
um, where you, you enter these kind of dense, isolated areas of bush, and it's just, it's almost like a, a feeling more than a direct sensory um, response. But yeah, it's this really dank, green, lush, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to put yeah. into words, I think, yeah. Like like the the movie version of like a Vincent Ward film or like a, or or the piano in a bottle or something. Like. <laughs> and we 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 haven't yet got to the sensory part of our of our experiments, so we are really eager to see see what what these are going to smell and taste like. Um, but if you think of like Sauvignon Blanc, you know it's um it's certainly still got a wine profile to it, and these will be beers that are going to end up being produced with these yeasts. But um, yeah, it'll it'll just um, shine through that reputation and and the storytelling that that goes along with it. Like, hey, this this yeast came from the New Zealand bush. Um, people will be able to sort of attach those experiences to that origin story. Yeah, and I guess you can do a range as well of like some that could be like kanuka or manuka and have that um that that kind of real simple kind of floral. Uh, right through to some heavy kind of uh, fetid bush, dank bush kind of <laughs> yeast. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Uh, ah, that's that's such a cool that's such a cool thing. And like, tell me about the reaction in the industry because, like, um, I imagine with the amount of um, oh, enthusiasm and discovery about all the elements, um, that having local yeast must be um, must be a bit of a boon for for craft brewers. Yeah, absolutely. The I mean, we did about a year and a half of market research. Um, we didn't want to just assume this was a, a good idea just because it sounded so to us. We wanted to make sure it was something the industry wanted and needed. So that looked like one-on-one um, -on -one interviews with brewers in different parts of the country, um, sort of focus groups, sat around a table, um, speaking to different, different people in different parts of the industry. We went a bit deeper and and surveyed about ten percent of the brewers in the um, in the craft beer industry, and said, "Like, what are you looking for? How can we serve you? How can we serve the industry?" And that really informed how we've designed our business. Um, we we needed to validate our business before we moved forward and and invested um, a lot of time and, and effort. So, yeah, we just got a lot of yeses. That yes, this is what I want. Yes, this is what I need. I'd love to buy yeast locally. I'm definitely interested in what wild New Zealand yeasts have to offer. Um, and from there, we moved to a okay. Well, let's let's prove that. And so, uh, we were pretty keen early on for, with all these yeses. Let, we started looking at commercial leases for warehouses, and the accountant, um, also known as Mum, um, <laughs> sort of shoulder tapped and said, "Hang on." That's a five-year lease. That's a lot of investment. Uh, from our point of view, we, said, we thought, well, they've all said yes, and it's like, yeah, okay, well, let's let's do a test run. Let's do a minimum viable product and um, demonstrate that you can make the yeast that that it's of good quality and that people are prepared to pay for it. So we we just went real lean and real bootstrap. We rented a space with. Um, a commercial prep kitchen in central Wellington on Dixon Street and this is we'd sort of we'd have our day jobs during the day and then at six o'clock we'd go in after they were finishing up and we'd get full rain on the commercial kitchen we had our own little laboratory space um, in a separate room and sometimes finishing up at 4am on a weeknight pushing the 
the car up the street with a dead battery. <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were making our first batches of yeast, one batch at a time, and we partnered with some awesome breweries, uh, Garage Project, Funk Estate, Eagle, Choice Bros, and... Heyday. Heyday. And, um, yeah, so we got them a batch of yeast each, and they made some awesome beers with it. And so that really informed our business model and validated uh, what we believed was going on. And from that foundation, we were we were in a much more comfortable place to go, okay, let's go all in, let's do the crowdfunding campaign, and let's um, set up this custom yeast production facility. <laughs> yeah, t- tell us about that crowdfund campaign, because that was... Um a really interesting way to kind of validate that people were into it. But it looks like you got the breweries on board to give people um, re- rewards rather than kind of, you know, just help us get going. Um, and then what were you actually buying out of it? Like, how do you make yeast? Like, it's, it's not something you kind of, inv- you grow it, right? <laughs> rather than like um, synthesize it. <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you do it all? Sure. So, I mean, yeah, with the crowdfunding campaign, um uh, we were really lucky to, uh, kind of as Simon said, we, we've both been in the industry for some time. We were lucky to have these relationships with breweries. And after doing our market research and engaging with them, they were they were kind of on board with the concept. Um, it eases a lot of pain points for them around access and, and freshness and, um, you know, hopefully getting a better quality uh, end product out of their brewery. Um, so, yeah, they were more than happy to support us in the way of rewards um, and uh, brewery tours and things like that, which was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, we, we went on to raise um, just over our target of $30,000. So we got 32000 I think, out of the crowdfund, um, which went, yeah, uh, some way to supplement our startup costs. So in regards to what that was spent on, um, a lot of it was uh, equipment you'd kind of think belongs in a brewery so those big cylindroconical tanks the fermenters um, we have a a hot liquor tank and we have a a kettle for boiling up our growth medium the difference being that our kit is kind of um, specifically designed for yeast production rather than beer so uh, our kettle um, is a pressure kettle so we sterilize our growth medium to 121 degrees at uh, 15 psi so that was a pretty specialized piece of equipment we had to get um, and the the growing of the yeast is sort of separated into two aspects. So there's that side with those bigger tanks, which is kind of the, the larger production aspect, and then there's the laboratory side. So that's where we're working with the small uh, microbes, the much smaller numbers of cells. And so we have a, uh, a cryogenic freezer. Now that is used to uh, bank our yeast strains, so it stores them in perpetuity essentially at minus 80 degrees. So uh, we've got a constant stock of those strains that we're offering. From there, we uh, take a tiny amount of cells and we sort of reinvigorate that by putting it into a small amount of growth medium. And essentially the process is just continuing to feed the yeast and provide it an ideal environment. And if you do that, the yeast will grow. So we start it from a tiny amount of cells and just step it up over a series of days, growing it into larger and larger volumes until it ends up in the in the big tanks. So yeah, there's a lot of lab equipment. We've got um, bio uh, bio cabinets for creating sterile work areas, uh, microscopes, uh, centrifuges, um, all these kinds of things you might uh, yeah associate with a lab. It, it it sounds a bit like 
kind of I don't know being a farmer using science or something you know like you know using using the tools of science like your yeah. your microscopes and the like what is yeah you know, what what's it What's your relationship like to the to the yeast? Like, do you talk to them? Do you um, do you, do you kind of like feel a kind of um, I don't yeah, know pastoral but... responsibility with them or something? Yeah, there's definitely been a, a close connection that's been formed over time. Um, I think we mostly just play them nice music, um, and and yeah, put all of our our love into. Uh, being good parents and raising these yeast babies, giving them everything they need to make sure they're they're super healthy. Yeah, but I guess the other the other question that's uh, one to really ask from a philosophical perspective is: Is it us farming the yeast for our benefit, or is the yeast using us as yeast slaves to grow their population? Because essentially, yeah. that's what they're doing, right? They're expanding their genetic reach. Domesticated us. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, the, you're the ideal growth medium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Hey, and tell me a little bit, like, just touching on the sustainability element as well, because, like, yeah, if you're if you're keeping if you're growing the colony, you, do you call them colonies? What do you call like a group of yeast together, like a, a colony yeah. or a culture? Yep. Yeah. If you're if you're growing a culture um, here and not having to ship it around. That'll save a whole lot of um, of carbon and, and and you know the world's resources. Um, but yeah, what what are the other kind of sustainability uh, elements you have? Because that's that's been part of kind of the building of the company. Hey, mm, yeah. So um, as part of the zero carbon challenge, it's a, an accelerator program that we entered, um, sort of hosted by Wellington City Council, and that's where our crowdfunding campaign emerged from. Um, yeah, we were able to really hone in on our sustainability and with the help of a close friend, we we actually sort of went right through our, our footprint and looked at the, the major emissions areas. Um, over, generally, they're, they're, not that, they're not that huge, um, but we wanted to make sure that we design our business from the ground up uh, and really considering the environment um, in every step of the way. So, I mean, packaging is a, a main one for us ingredients and energy and energy yeah so um it's kind of generally cheaper to run um the the heating requirements for a brewery with gas um but being a fossil fuel um and having 80 percent hydroelectricity in the grid we went for a fully electric system uh we are reclaiming energy hot water energy through our heat exchange process to try and reduce our reduce our energy needs and our water um, requirements. In terms of packaging, we've um, the cool thing is that uh, one bottle of yeast, say ten liters, is enough to ferment a thousand liters of beer. So it's not a huge amount of packaging per pint, but we still wanted to be considerate of that. And so we we ran a bit of an, an experiment. Um, and using a unique plastic packaging. So it's a sugarcane-derived HDPE plastic. So number two plastic, just like a milk bottle, but it's made from sugarcane instead of oil. And so it actually sequesters carbon at twice its weight. So all that carbon that's sequestered during the lifetime of the sugarcane um, ends up in the sort of, as a negative footprint for the bottle. So ideally... Um, those those bottles can be recycled with curbside recycling along with normal number two plastic but also if somehow it ended up in the landfill 
it's still got that sequestered carbon in it so it's not not such a bad thing we want to put carbon back in the ground um so we managed to do a production run of that which was quite difficult um you know plastic manufacturers are used to doing pretty large production runs and so we were a bit of a small fry for them but we managed to negotiate and um and get a run done through that and that's something we'd like to roll out across all our bottle sizes in the future as we've got the scale to be able to make that possible um yeah yeah and, and all of our ingredients that we're using right. um our, our primary ingredient we grow our yeast on a uh, a malt uh, extract based medium um and so we get that uh which is produced in new zealand as well so as we were saying like when we were looking to start a brewery the raw ingredients you use are a big part of your footprint so we applied that same uh sort of lens to to this business and yeah we're looking to to use local ingredients and support local businesses as much as we can in, in our endeavor if you love the spin-off, the best way to show it is to become part of the spin-off members. This is the fund that helps us keep free and accessible to all without a paywall. It also funds some of our most important and acclaimed journalism. Check it out through the spin-off. And there's some interesting like possibilities with the research, hey, in that if you did find yeast um you, you know unique or novel um yeast types that worked really well and made a flavor of beer that just kicked off and everyone in the world wanted to use it you would be able to actually kind of patent in effect that microbe eh? like but what, what do you what do you guys think about that because i read a really interesting interview that you'd done where you talked a little bit about the the um yeah like like the morals i guess around trying to patent uh indigenous culture yeah, that's something we've thought about a lot. Um, uh, we've, we've got a lot of different views that come into our circle uh, in terms of like business advice that we really appreciate. And there's definitely some different styles out there, you know. We, sometimes we get a bit of a, a boomer lens, which is kind of protect your neck and like someone is going to screw you over if you don't. And then you've kind of got a more like emergent millennial uh, or like feminist style of doing business which is way more in favor of the open source together we can all grow if we're not just like locking things down uh, we've also sort of dipped into the feeling within the the, the yeast industry um, globally there's some re- a really strong community for that online and yeah the general perception there as well is that pat- um, patenting a microbe like that um, is pretty frowned upon you know you sort of um, while it is found out in nature, um, so there's a general belief that you shouldn't be able to patent that. It is it is really like a needle in a haystack. While yeast is every year everywhere, there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't want. So it's very difficult and technical to be able to find what we're looking for, and very expensive. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've that's been made easier with um, some of the uh, with an awesome grant that has been provided um, through Callahan Innovation. So, yeah, we're not looking to patent microbes anytime soon. It's something that can't be done in the United States, for example, but uh, currently it is allowable here. We, um, yeah, we would just want to be able to offer these yeasts to everyone. We've got a head start in our search, um, but we wouldn't want to try and inhibit anyone else from, or say home brewers, or from finding these unique, unique microbes out in the wild. Um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with that. 
Yeah, there's some really interesting stuff about um, Treaty of Waitangi considerations around, um, you, you know, looking to uh, patent things that are Indigenous um, culture as well. I always wonder with those things, like, you know, when you look at kind of uh, manuka honey and kanuka honey's, um, you, you know, effects that are so positive, and you kind of think, well, what if you, what if you look to Te Ao Māori and found like a collective ownership model around this? So you go, yeah, if people are wanting to profit off it, pay a licence, the licence fee goes back to, I don't know, paying for the research development and, and upkeep, but then profits go towards, you know, some kind of collective ownership model with collective distribution or, or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there, there may be some kind of, like, middle way that, that comes from that kind of um, shared ownership model. Yeah, totally. That's an interesting one to consider. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've always been super open to collaboration. Uh, we have been having really interesting conversations with um, the malt producers and the hop producers and looking for ways that we can collaborate in the same way our ingredients do in the tank. Uh, So yeah, we'd be certainly open to continuing collaboration um, if there was to be um, other producers of yeast emerging in the country. We'd love to work together and love to research together and and make these discoveries together. my, my whakapapa is with Ngaitahu in the South Island. So I I spoke to them early on and they've actually provided me some great business support as well um, with both of my businesses, Kakariki and, and this one. Um, and yeah, I spoke to them about, about our project looking for wild yeasts in the wild. And yeah, they kind of said um, that, yeah, there's they had no problems with that but um if we wanted to collect from conservation land um which is obviously protected and um that falls under dock uh we actually ended up going um the more sort of local aspect speaking to friends in Fano and visiting uh, we visited a chili farm up in northland and went to a friend's um piece of land where they sort of had a, a batch for retreating in the west coast and so we we took our little uh we foraged our little samples from yeah from the places that um friends and Fano have have had in their families and yeah went, went down that path oh that's so cool and a couple of questions that we always like to ask everyone to round it out like what advice do you do you guys have for people who maybe do want to turn their passion into a business. And like, I really love the way that you found such a, like a unique slice within something that, that was so kind of popular. Mm. Um, I guess, I guess one of the big pieces of advice I would give is once you've got your concept and once you kind of have this idea that you're wanting to pursue, um, do, do your market research, really engage with the, uh, the market that you're wanting to, to supply or to be a part of. Um, I think for us, that whole process of going around and talking to brewers and interviewing them not only informed our kind of next steps in developing our business, but it also really worked to to generate support and to show our authenticity to the people we're hoping to supply. Um, and that has kind of come full circle now with a lot of those brewers we talked to in the early days coming back and, and, and hitting us up for yeast now. So I think that's a really, really um, valuable process to go through. Mm. Yeah, and for me, I think mm, we the kind of uh, catchphrase, I suppose, that is the backbone of our business is um, taste nature, celebrate wonder, drink science. So 
if you unpack that a little bit, we one of our sort of core values or, or, or missions is to bring people closer to nature and and sort of use flavor as a medium for storytelling. Sometimes, you know, you're not going to catch someone at the dock hut or, you know, out in the bush. They're not quite there yet. And sometimes you've got to meet people where they're at and that might be at the pub. So we can start that storytelling about about um, caring for nature and about getting closer to nature and visiting these special places by telling stories about where these um, microbes have come from. Um, yeah, so I suppose I would my advice would be to really like lay down those values uh, from the beginning um, so you can kind of lead with that, especially if you're looking at social enterprise or impact business where your business exists to do something good. Start with the good. If you're, if you're not sure what passion you should follow to get into business, think get together with some friends. Maybe it's an ideas club and you just keep jamming on it until something emerges. But if you start with the biggest injustice in your mind in the world, think work back from there and think about what can what could a business do to have a positive impact on that? Is it something directly attributable, like we're a tree nursery that puts trees in riparian belts along rivers? Or is it something completely unrelated, you know? Maybe you screen print t-shirts on ethical cotton and that pays it forward into uh, water restoration projects, you know? Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And, and as a final thought, like, what will success be for you? <laughs> mm, I guess um, success for me would be being able to uh, go around a few pubs in Aotearoa and drink a bunch of beers that are made with froth yeast. I, I'm extremely looking forward to the day when I can take my mates to the pub and go, how's that one taste? Mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty pretty frothy. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a, a strong reminder after a hard day's work and you crack open just a fantastic beer made in New Zealand and you go, oh, yeah, that's why we're doing what we're doing. It's all about that delicious flavor how it makes you feel the good times you can have sharing that with friends um but yeah i think i think the big goal for me in terms of success is um i mean we've got humble beginnings uh, starting with the beer industry we've got big dreams to expand that into other fermentation industries such as wine and food and and things like that so i think if if we could point at what we're doing in the future and go hey we've transformed um a part of the food and beverage industry here in aotearoa for for better for the good um and just sort of made one element of that industry even more sustainable more local um perhaps healthier then that would be a a pretty a pretty good success story in my heart (laughs) Yeah, oh, that's so awesome. I, I can't, can't wait to see uh, where you guys take it. It's been great chatting about it today. Thank you so much, Simon Cook and Ryan Carvel, uh, co-founders at uh, Froth Technologies. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Cheers. Oh, and oh, actually, if, if people are wanting to get hold of some yeast, if they're a home brewer or something, can they get in touch with you? Like, is that available for people? We're sort of working on um, getting our commercial production sorted at the moment and getting that to the high high quality standard we insist on um once that's flowing and we've got good amounts of volume going out to breweries and we've got their feedback um then we'll be in a much better position to um yeah work on smaller packages that'll go out to 
homebrew shops around the country. So yeah, homebrew is definitely on our list, definitely a priority for us as that's where we started once upon a time. And as soon as we're ready, we'll, we'll be letting them know and getting it out there. Awesome. Watch the space. Thanks, guys. Kia ora. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much also to Tina Tiller for producing and thank you very much for having us along in your ears. Cheers. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.